Hill, Ryan back up in the pocket, throws, backside Hill, open, diving and scoring in the pylon. And the Atlanta touchdown for Brian Hill, the last guy in the package. You're listening to Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T. And I am Matt Tabeek, joined with Dave Archer and DJ Shockley on a chilly but sunny day here in uh, Flowery Branch, Georgia, oh, team headquarters. Confines, a friendly confines here. It's in friendly our... confines. It's a little chilly. I had to take off my sweatshirt, but I do have my Falcons Audible presented by AT&T shirt on. I just <laughs> want go. everybody to see well done. that. Excellent. Well done. Excellent. Uh, big win yesterday. We're in great mood because the Falcons won 26-9. to They went down to yeah, boy. New Orleans, kicked the doors in, Dave. Didn't take names. Played really well, though early on I think Falcons fans were probably saying to themselves, is this happening? And then they probably went through, don't screw this up. And, wow, they played four quarters, and they played really well. Your initial take, Dave. Yeah, it it was a lot of fun to do, of course, Matt, to be there, call the game. Uh, I've had a chance to be there and beat them in their building. There's nothing that tastes better than to be uh, in that (laughs) building as a player and beat them there to shut the fans up, to see them get up at about the midway through the fourth quarter or maybe early fourth quarter, like something's being given away for free in the parking lot as they're <laughs> headed to the parking lot. All those type of things were cool. But the performance of the team, and you said it, four quarters of football, it's what Dan Quinn's been talking about, about complementary football. If we play good defensively, we need to answer on the offensive end. And Sometimes answering doesn't necessarily mean you go down and get a touchdown. It means you possess the football, you work on their defense, you begin to fatigue their defense, and then go down. And if you get points, you get points. And then being able to trust the other side of the ball that if I have to settle for three shock, which has usually been a death nail against the Saints, mm. if you settle for three, Breeze is going to get seven. You hold Drew Breeze without a touchdown for the first time in his existence as a Saint in that building. That's saying something. Yeah, actually, since 2005, it's the first time that's happened, and that's before Drew Brees. But like you said, Arch, since the Drew Brees era, that's really, really impressive. Yeah, you're talking about one of the highest-scoring teams in NFL history since he's been there and what he does. And, Shock, I mean, mean, that's, that's what immediately jumped out at me, four quarters of football and then the trust that both sides of the ball had for one another. The thing that I think stuck out for me is, when you watch it as ball game, or if you didn't watch it and you just saw the the highlights or you just saw the score, mm-hmm. I think people would say, okay, what happened to the Saints? Did they turn the ball over four times? Did they give them short fields? You know, stuff like that. Did stuff like that happen so the Falcons were able to do it? And I thought the best thing that happened was none of that happened. The Falcons stood toe-to-toe with the Saints in their building and looked like the team that was 7-1. and one. And I think that was the biggest thing – that I took from it was all the execution stuff. We, we've we talked about the last few weeks. That's all that needed to happen. But the fact you go into that building mm-hmm. and they don't give you anything mm. and you go take it. I thought that was probably the most impressive thing to me was the way they went about that win. And it was a situation where you go into that stadium and you go into that game and probably nobody outside of the team with the Falcon on their helmet thought they had any chance to win this ballgame, and something miraculous had to happen for the Falcons to win, and it was the total opposite. The Falcons went in and dominated the ball game. People would have laughed at you, and yeah. that's why I wrote my column. I said, you know, if you had suggested such a crazy thought outside of the people in that locker room and outside of the coaching staff, 
people would have laughed. And here's what, when you say they went and took it, when I, the, the stats that scream they went and took it are 10 play, 17 play, 13 play, <laughs> yeah. 11 play drives. They sustained drives, Dave, and they were run, they were, people said that they were aggressive, but they were aggressive in, the, in that they, they, they were committed to the run and, and, uh, and they ate the, the clock up, and it, it, that was just fun to watch. And then, on, like you said, on, when it came to defense, they tightened up in the red zone. You know, they, they oh for three. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they they moved the ball that first drive. And I'm t- talking about the Saints, and we thought, okay, this is too easy. And then they got down in the red zone, Dave, and they you know they tightened well, twice, their belts up. Yeah, twice they got to the ten yard line or penetrated the ten yard line and were held to three two times. So that's excellent defense. And you mentioned committed to the run game, and I think it's important that we. Maybe discuss that for a second. Sure. Uh, I, I hear it all the time from fans. Some of the talking heads that are in this city and other places say, wow, we need to stay more committed to the run game. Yeah, if the defense is playing at the level they're playing at and they're getting you the ball back or not allowing the other team to go score, you can stay committed to a run game. You can be willing to have what what potentially is an empty possession where maybe you get one first down and you have to punt it, yet you ran the ball three or four times in the series uh, of the six downs that you had in in a in a in a series, you can stay committed to the run game. But if you're if you're going six plays and then punting and the other team's going down the field and putting a touchdown on the board, and then you get the ball and you try to run a couple more times, you got to punt, and now you look up and you're down fourteen nothing. You can't stay committed to the run game. So I think that. It's yeah. important to distinguish for sure. what you're talking about and what you're discussing. Yes, it was nice to be able to see Dirk could stay the running. And I will point out, um, and I talked to a number of the coaching staff after the game, and obviously it was a it was a fun time to be on the plane coming home. But this was a game that was played almost entirely at the line of scrimmage. And having played quarterback in that building – it's arguably the toughest environment to call plays at the line of scrimmage. Communicate. Okay? Yeah. To wow. communicate to one another. Matt Ryan called 85% of the game from the line of scrimmage. Now, there's a play coming in his ear, and then at that point, you can see him change things based on what look. They were trying to stem the different looks defensively up front. He would change the play to take advantage of the different looks in the run game. So even though Matt Ryan's not, numbers don't look like a normal Matt Ryan day, what, t- 20 of 35 for 190 yards yep, and, and a couple of touchdowns, yep. he was the facilitator in the game to get the run game going and get him in the right play. So let's make sure that we remember Matt I, I don't know if I can emphasize this enough, Shock. You've played in some really tough environments. How difficult it is to communicate in that situation with that crowd and try to do all that at the line of scrimmage. And here's something to add to it as – you Those guys, are great points, by the way. You was there calling the game, and I had the opportunity to watch it at home. And when I watched it at home, there was a – they showed a couple times clips of Matt in the huddle. They used the sky cam and him coming down in the huddle, and everybody was literally a one foot away from him. You can see his eyes going to every single guy making sure – the communication was there. I don't think people understand how important that is. There were times where you could see him literally holding up like two fingers, and that's telling everybody, okay, two fingers, is this is where the snap count's going to go. Because in that building, there was a couple times where you had a couple false starts, but those are drive killers. And he knew from the beginning, if those situations don't play out the way they're supposed to at the line of scrimmage, it doesn't matter what you call. Because the next you're going to be in first and 15, going to be second and 20 or whatever mm-hmm, it may be. Mm-hmm. And – 
him communicating, not just in the huddle, but like Archie's mentioned, at the line of scrimmage is one of the toughest things to do because you have to maybe communicate it to all five guys and then make sure all other guys on the outside understand what play is being called. I've been in the position before where you think everybody has the call <laughs> and one guy doesn't get it. As good as players are, mm-hmm. if that one guy doesn't get it out of the ten, that play will go I almost said something. But that play will go into something really bad, and the quarterback will be destroyed, and it looks like, oh, he doesn't know where he's coming from. You're going to say chicken salad becomes oh, chicken. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the communication is a big part in that environment. I remember – Arch, you were there. I remember going to that building after Katrina on Monday Night Football. Oh, boy. You're talking about a place that's loud, and I can imagine probably just as loud yesterday with – them coming in being seventy one and everything's flying, everything feeling good about yourself. So, uh, I on can a, only I can only tell you how bad it can be. On a sidebar, that moment, which was an unbelievable moment, the the Steve Gleason block punt against Michael Kanan early in the football game after Atlanta's first series of downs that ends up leading to a what twenty six win, twenty to six win. The Saints got to a point from a PR or in stadium moment where the crowd was so dumbfounded with what was going on that they played that. Okay, Steve was in the building, and a lot of times they'll play it when Atlanta's there, and then they played highlights of their Super Bowl win. They had nothing to play because of the way Atlanta was shutting them down. So, I mean, I've been in the building a hundred times, and it was just a really strange vibe in there. Really for Falcons fans. I'm sure they were loving it. Um. That's great stuff. Uh, yeah, to, to, to I love the fact that you pointed out that Matt didn't necessarily have the gaudy numbers, but he he won the game with you know the pre-snap stuff and the, the communication. That's fans write in all the time talking about stats, stats, stats. Matt would trade stats Absolutely. ten times out of ten for a performance like that. So I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a great point. And then of course you know they they've had trouble getting. They've gotten behind. They've had those mistakes, those communication issues that you've talked about early on in the season. It's led to more problems and being outscored. And it was just they had they had a couple drives stalled because of penalties yesterday, and you kind of thought, okay, keep, you know, but it didn't phase them. They just they kept their sleeves rolled up, and they stuck to it. Um, Let me get. Can I say one thing about yeah. when we, we were talking about Go the defense? It. That's why you're here. Sean. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you don't have to ask. <laughs> Just jump in and say it. No, man. We, we You guys were just talking about the defense and the, uh, the the stuff that they overcame, especially in the red zone. But there were two other situations in that ball game where the Falcons had short fields. I mean, the, the Saints had short fields. Absolutely. Right. And they bowled their neck. I mean, how often are you able to do that versus that style of offense we talked about in the type of quarterback that they have, that they bowl their neck when the Saints are getting the ball at midfield and they get nothing from it. That happened a couple of times. I mean – we talk about the sacks and all that kind of stuff, and that's really good because we haven't been able to get a lot of sacks. Six. The six sacks you six got in the ball sacks. game, a lot of it come from four and five man uh, uh, pressures. It's pretty cool to watch. But that moment I thought was pretty crucial that Saints had short fields and weren't able to capitalize on it. And I think ultimately that was a big part of the ball game. And I think both sides, offense and defense, fed off each other in that environment, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you two, were watching those, the game. Oh, those go are ahead, ultra, Really quickly, comment on two ultra-short fields now. 
yeah. what he's talking about. You had the return of the punt to the 38-yard line, the Falcon 38. Yeah. Stone them, okay? They get the kickoff return all the way out to their own 46-yard line. In fact, that led to a Grady Jarrett sack, which they got nothing out of. So the two short field opportunities, they needed three points. I mean, that, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, and we kind of did that during the first eight games because we were kept trying to tell people, look at this, look at this. But this was a defense and an offense that played complementary football. Quinn mm-hmm. had been talking about it all year long, and they did it. Complementary. Back end helps the front end of the defense. Offense helps the defense, vice, for, vice versa. You brought up that kickoff return. Uh, while I'm thinking of it, young Hui Ku with the tackle kept it. Well, he forced him out of bounds, but saved potentially an even bigger gain or possibly a touchdown. Maybe, yeah. Great, great day for the young kicker. Uh, any Let me thoughts? Get young way a, a, a freaking bigger helmet or something. I mean, helmet's too small. Yes. It looked a little tight. It looked a little tight. <laughs> kind of a Jim Plunkett look to it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. exactly. The cheeks. The, yeah, yeah, the cheeks coming out. Yeah. Uh, hey, but I'm glad he made the hey, kicks. That's all that matters. Hey, right? and what about? Is, were you, either of you guys surprised that he was uh, wearing number seven? He's no, I I, I think they said on the broadcast they did they they, they said uh, he was given the number and, and he, he didn't couldn't say anything say. about it. He didn't really want it, but he was no. like, "I just got here. I can't tell him I don't want it." But, yeah, hey man, it was kind of funny. Lucky number seven, uh, yeah, a certain other guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting though the way he handled his business. I thought kickers are an interesting lot. Uh, I held my entire career in the NFL, and they're a weird group now. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of a lot of psychoanalyzing and all sorts of stuff. Can you tell and, us some weird stories, Arch? And, no, no, okay. we won't go there. But I think that it, it was – I mean, obviously, he doesn't know hardly anybody on the team. He's still introducing himself to people on the team. He doesn't yeah. know everybody, right? Yeah. And now he's got to go in with the weight of the team on his shoulders to go get points, go in there and, and, and make a – drive viable or make a drive credible freaking, freaking by putting first drive of the game yeah <laughs> and goes down and then you could see quinn's reaction on the 48 yarder because that was right Very where long. q had set his limit he said okay all week long we need to get the ball to the 31 yard line because 48 yards is where we're going to kick anything outside of that i'm going for it and he mm-hmm. did it in the second drive of the game they went for it ryan runs for a first down on fourth down oh, by yeah. the way he had two runs in the game. One well, was on third, third down, down for first down. One, it felt like one it took a, about a half hour. Maybe. Well, he told me he was, <laughs> he was straining. I felt man. like I felt like uh, I felt like straining. Ray Nitschke where I'm dragging my legs, running down the field. But go, uh, go. but uh, yeah, so really good job by by Koo. I thought it was pretty interesting. A little there was a little meme or a little uh, yeah Kudat, a little Kudat thrown out. Oh, there. Really? How do you guys cool. feel about that? I like that. I like. Do you like it? Anything okay. to, anything to poke a little little sights fan. That's always yeah. Good. If it pokes him, I'm good with it. Uh, Feels a little like poke. Shout yeah. out, to, shout out to the Falcons digital too. I mean, anyway, he did a nice they, job, good job, and he did a good they job. After, they got they got after the Saints a little yeah. bit on, on Twitter, so it's, it was, uh, sure did. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Pent up, it was pent up. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Um, you know the 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 Young Hui Ku performance. It reminded me. I couldn't help but think of when Tavecchio had to come in on that Monday night game, and. You end up winning NFC Player of the Week that week. It, it kind of had that feeling. It was just uh Well, I can take you further back than that. I can take you back to a Monday night in the seventies when Lee Mazzilli. Uh, Lee Mazzilli. Not Lee Mazzilli. Lee. Uh, what, I was going to say, uh, not Lee Mazzilli. What New York Met? Now I can't think of the guy's name. I just lost his name. Came in. He bartended the the the, the week before 
What, bring no this? way. He kicks five field goals against no. the Rams. What and year beats was the this? Rams. What I don't know. It was in the 70s. No. Yeah. He was bartending the week before. Bartending. What, Lee? How about me going with the Met, a, Met Lee Mazzilli? Uh, cocktails and then come but he, it's an, I think it's an Italian name. Ken I don't Vineyard? know why I can't Not think Ken of. Vineyard. No, nah. but he had five field goals. There's fans out there going, you idiot, it's this guy. So I get it. You're, but, uh, as soon as we finish the pod, you're going to walk out to the parking lot and go, Ugh. Five field goals out, out after being a bartender the week before to beat the Rams. But, yeah, it was one of those kind of efforts. This is a guy that had kicked for the uh, for the uh, Alliance team here in town. For Tim Mazzetti. Tim Mazzetti. There you go. I knew it was an I. I. Tim Mazzetti, five field goals against the Rams to beat him on a Monday night. Beat coming through. Hey, I just I just went He's down the list. I know, right? I just went Google. through the I just went through Arch the list. Arch is going through the Google in his head. Over <laughs> I just here. went through the list. I told like, him that it ended an Italian. eye, and he picked him out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I looked for the Italian. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 hey Tim Mazzetti. <laughs> yeah, no, it was similar. Pizza to, but Prince. no, you're right. Koo did a heck of a job and controlling his emotions. First big opportunity, really, for him. And this is, you know, when you come through with it for a team in that moment, in those moments, think about the credibility. Now, he's got to carry this out now. He's got another seven games to play. But the credibility on the field in those moments that you begin to build for sure with your team and no for an opportunity to potentially be that guy again. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just reading about Tim Mazzetti. Tim Mazzetti. What he's doing. Bartender. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like he's uh, like a broker. Like or something a hell of now. a Manhattan yeah. for you, I think, from what I understand. <laughs> he ended up playing in the U.S. Keep a couple so. field goals while he's doing it <laughs> for the uh, Boston, New Orleans, Portland Breakers. Anyway, um, the running game. You know, we talked about it was they didn't get behind. It was a close game. They they stuck to it. Uh, Brian Hill stepped in. De- Devontae Freeman was running hard. Uh, I love the pl- the the play they opened with the quick hit with Ridley, the quick snap. Uh, that went 18, 19 yards, and it was kind of like okay. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, you too, that Dave, you brought up, you know, hey, if it, if they were, they got without of what was it? You said thirty one. Uh, thirty one yard line was kind of the number the, for the forty eight yard kick. But on the broadcast, you were listening to that, the Fox broadcast, DJ. They were they were almost saying, look, at, they can't talk about the Falcons. They can't afford in this game in this environment against this team to kick field goals. Well, that's always the that presiding the thought, yeah. right? Yeah, and so it was kind of—you almost felt like if it was fourth and short at any point that Atlanta had its ears pinned back and they were gonna. But I think the difference was how your defense was playing. Yes, and a oh, lot for sure. of and a lot sure. of those other games where Breeze is, you know, being Breeze, you knew he was going to score points. In this ball game, it just felt different. Yeah. Um, even early in the ball game, where you possessed the ball with nine minutes in the first quarter, and I mean, you you controlled. What we talked about earlier was the line of scrimmage, really, and that's what mattered. And I thought some of some of the guys who probably weren't the key guys you thought coming to this ball game played really well. Um, obviously, Brian Devondre Hill coming Campbell. in played well. Devondre in certain spots played really well um, in space. I thought the Falcons tackled really well in space too. Um, one they thing tackled that, really well. One thing that the Saints do well is yards after catch, and you didn't see much of that. I thought a lot of the throws were contested. I thought there were guys there in Absolutely. their face. Um, this is about, one of the best screen teams in the National Football League. Might be the best screen team. They smart. ran three three-count screens and netted nothing. Yeah, and it was something Quinn had talked about. Is we've got this is one of the best screen teams I've seen. Uh, both backs are good screen backs. They throw screens to the wide receivers, 
and they just got nothing out of them. And that's a big part, an extension of their run game, and they just didn't get it going. Another guy came in, Christian Blake, had a couple catches. Um, Matt oh, yeah. trusted him on a, yeah. uh, a a critical down, throwing him the football. And if you look at it, he wasn't really that open. Matt threw him open on a, the opposite side of his shoulder. He made a big catch. I mean, some of those guys in those certain spots, I thought, were asked to play big moments and did that. I thought Jack Crawford, uh, he actually had a pass breakup. Um, yeah, he's one of those unsung oh, yeah. guys. Off and then the, uh, the rookie, there, yeah. rookie Kendall Sheffield, who we talked about before the podcast, I think he was targeted seven times, gave up five catches for 28 yards, but no touchdowns. I thought he played well. He seems to, he's one of those guys, Arch, you kind of watch him grow up, you know, week to week. Um, yeah, Kendall's Kendall's that two way guy, Matt, that he can play on the perimeter as a corner, but he has he possesses those extra skills to play in the slot. Remember, he was the backup nickel coming into the season behind KZ. With as much as they want to play KZ in center field as the free safety and get Ricardo Allen down in the box, who's a much better tackler, even though he's not a big guy, he's a good tackler, understands scheme, reads things well. That means Kendall has to come in and play or has to slide inside and play that play that nickel corner um, when they when they go to six defensive backs. So mm-hmm. I thought he does a nice job. His his versatility, and you're right, he made a really good play on a throw down the seam that you normally see Breeze complete. He was working against the speedy Ted Ginn, broke that play up. KZ came over and got a big hit on the play. KZ slowly becoming kind of that enforcer in center field, trying to make the big hit, but yet not the illegal hit. I thought he was doing some of that stuff. He actually got that. into the skin of a couple of their players to where there was some there was some jousting going on between them because KZ's willing to talk to you a little bit after mm-hmm. he hits you. And so that was kind of fun to watch as well. You know, I don't know what your take was watching the game, um, but with they had, I think, at least four illegal hands to the face penalties. Not, and they, you know, you watch the replay; they were legit. Those are the ones they caught, by the way, the the officials. Yeah, um, it just felt like, you know, the, the, as the game went on, that the look, they're a seven one team; they're a very good team. Nothing. No one's taking anything away from them there, but they seem to become a little unglued. And you know, and, they, and when you're doing that, when you're hitting the guy's throat and hold that, you're frustrated. You, you know what I mean? It's it was kind of interesting to watch. Well, uh, take on that. Anal- I think it's a great analogy. I think it's exactly the Falcons right. came in and weren't the one in seven team they thought. I mean, I know they talked about ah, oh, you don't take anybody for granted, and it's not yeah. the one in seventeen. Sean but was, this is yeah. this was a game that I thought when they came in, they realized the Falcons weren't going to lie down. This is a game where the Falcons came in and punched them in the mouth, quite quite frankly. And as the game went on, they continued to do so. And this wasn't the same team that they saw on film where first half or second half they weren't this type of team that would stay in the ball game. They went out and established everything they wanted to on both sides of the ball. And the Saints literally had no answer for what they were doing on either side of the ball. Um. You know, we were talking about Devontae Freeman and, uh, and and Austin Hooper. Those are two guys that, uh, you know, they got dinged up yesterday. We don't know the long-term, their long-term prognosis, but uh, uh, two key guys that uh, it's, you know, they're going to need to, if they do end up missing some time or miss some action, some other guys are going to have to step up, the Jaden Grahams, the Brian Hills. Brian Hill, I thought, played pretty well yesterday. Um, each time you see him out there, he, he – he produces. He, you know, he had a nice touchdown catch. He, he's 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 worked hard. We've talked a lot about this in the offseason, but you know, with with the his pass catching, um, 
and Jane Graham's another guy in the preseason made some plays. He's got, you know, Arch, we were talking about this too. You know, he's got some areas that he needs to work on, but he's, he's, he's got some ability too. And every yeah. so often you see it flash a little I like, bit. I like him. I like him as a receiver, Matt. No question about it. I think his understanding of the pass game, uh, he's a guy that has some of those similar qualities that Hooper has as a, as a pass receiver. I'm not, I'm not sure where he is run after the catch yet. That's something Hoop developed into as a really run after the catch guy. But if you need a pass receiving tight end, kind of nice to know. Don't know what Hoop's situation is right now. No, Took a hard shot on the knee on that screen play, so not sure where he is right now. And we'll find out later on in the week as Coach Quinn makes that announcement on Wednesday. But um, you do like the fact that Jaden Graham is a guy there that, that's made some plays in games. And the Devontae Freeman injury I saw free after the game. He was moving around okay. Looked like it was a foot injury. And he's he's going to kind of kind of probably be day-to-day with the foot. But you do like the fact that Brian Hill, when given the opportunities, has stepped up. Hill had 60 yards rushing in the second half. I mean, he had one yard in the first half. Really wasn't, didn't carry that. I think carried the ball once or twice in the first half. So he was given the load. And when you get in the lead and you want to run clock and you want to run the football, and the thing I like about Brian Hill, Shock. Whenever you turn around, and I don't know if there's anybody, you and I both had really good running backs that we played with, okay? When you turn around, you hand a football to a guy, and it's bottled up. And when everybody kind of gets out of the scrum, and you look up, and it's second and six, yeah. <clears throat> you think, wow, yeah. where did he get the four yards? Yeah. Where'd the three, four yards come from? Love that's that. who Huge. Brian Hill That's who yeah. Brian Hill is. I thought he did a really good job of that in some of those scrum runs. You go back, I like the, I watched the tape again this morning, and you're thinking, how did he get three or four out of that in order that second and seven? I have no clue, yeah. but he does. That's he has huge drive for, ability to do that. Well, those for fans the, that don't understand. I mean, you make third if you go into a third down, it's much more manageable. Yeah. Those are the hidden yards that you don't think about. Those are the yards where it makes a defense still honor what you're doing because you can have eight guys that in the box and you still fall four for two or three yards. That's what you just mentioned is he's that type of back that nine times out of ten, he's going to fall four. He's going to be able to break one tackle. He's going to make, make one guy miss. He's elusive enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw it way back in training camp when he came in mm-hmm. that he was a little bit different than what we saw the first time he was here with the Falcons. And this is, I think, probably a big moment for him where everything's going to be pretty much on his shoulders now, you know, Barring, you know, we, we don't know what's happening with Free, but in that ball game, watching him run, I think as a Falcon fan, you feel good about mm-hmm. where that position is. And going back to Jaden Graham, you look at who he's been coached by and Mike Malarkey, who is a tight end guy, mm-hmm. is a hard nose. He's going to make sure that guy is ready to play. Former tight end. And he's mm-hmm. going to make sure in the run game, pass game, he's going to be physical, but he knows exactly where he belongs in the system. And I think – He's been tremendous for Hooper. He's been tremendous for every tight end. The fact that you have a guy that's done it, that's played in this league, and will most definitely ask for the most out of that position. Two last notes on on maybe the run game here uh, for me. Brian Hill, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about his ability to kind of push the pile, get that extra hidden yardage. Shock is talking about that hidden yardage that you look up and now it's second and seven, second and six. And now as a play caller, I feel pretty good about where I'm at as opposed to second and ten. But he also made some good decisions in the run game. A lot of times you'll see guys or younger backs that get bottled up inside and want to bounce. And it's okay if you, you can do it or you're, you're comfortable with it or if you think you've got the – he was of the opinion 
He made a decision not to bounce a couple times. He didn't want to lose the yardage. Mm -hmm. And I thought that he made a couple really good decisions in the run game to kind of just mush rush it. Get me two, three yards. Let's we'll settle for that and we'll line up again on the, instead of bellying and somebody shoots in from the secondary and tackles him for a two yard loss. And now all of a sudden it's second and twelve. And the other point I want to make about uh, the run game is Julio had two catches yesterday, okay? Yep. Um, and he had one big one for 50 yards. He had three catches. One big one for 50 yards. He had the he drew the inter, he drew the interference penalty or the holding penalty on uh, Lattimore down close. Right. In the past game, kind of a non-factor. He made a really good catch on a slant route. He was a monster in the run game. If you go back and look at the tape, which I did this morning, he had four blocks in the run game. One, he knocked a guy on his rear end out there. The other time, he drove the guy off the ball where Brian Hill or Devontae Freeman got to the perimeter and there was nobody there. Or the first play of the game you're talking about when Ridley right to him, yeah. hits it up inside. He hits it up inside Julio Jones's block, who's mm -hmm. pinning the guy to the outside. So who really had a factor affected the game in other ways? That's a mark of a really good player when you can do that. Let me just point. Let me just repeat what you just summarized. What you said about Matt Ryan and Julio Jones for our fans. Neither had gaudy stats, and the Falcons dominated the Saints. Those guys would trade those, take those days. 10 out of 10 times, and that's that's what we're talking about, complimentary football, just sure. doing your job and doing the doing the, the pre-snap stuff, the, the nitty-gritty blocking. That's, that's real, that's, those, are big, those are big points that Falcons fans need to just kind of marinate on. Um, and, you know, let's flip it to the defense real quick. Um, man, it was so good just to see the defense play that well. I, I couldn't help but just feel really good for Dan Quinn. Um, you know, defense, that's his calling card. We've said it over and over. But for him to make the changes that he has made this season with his staff and take the scrutiny, and when you're one and seven, it's easy for the national media, the writers out there, people I know, and as players can't stand them. But that's, you know, that's what they're paid to do, to question things. <clears throat> and Lord knows the questions were getting louder and louder and louder. Um, and of course, the fans read that and they start barking louder and louder. And for him to make those moves and stick to his guns, and uh, and to just see it all come together, um, and the defense play as well as it did, and just to see the emotions, Coach Quinn on the sideline, it just it felt really good to watch that. Um, it was it was just good to see the defense, you know, the back end play with the front. But you you you've pointed out it's complimentary football, but. It was just great to watch that unit yesterday. Well, Raheem Morris was put in the position shock. to He's got a voice. He's got yeah. a voice that resonates in the locker room, not just in the wide receiver room, but in the DB room. Remember where Raheem comes from. He comes from the defensive side of the football. In fact, when he originally arrived here, he was a defensive coach. They moved him to the receiver room. He's well-respected in there. I talked to Ricardo Allen, and Ricardo said, hey, he is respected. He'll get on you. Uh, and – and you're upset that that hadn't been happening before, but sometimes you have to have that rapport. That's something that Marquand Manuel did. It's something Raheem Morris did to the wide receivers. He was moved over. Give Coach Quinn a ton of credit for realizing, okay, I've got to change the message in that room, and this is the guy I trust to do that because of the credibility he has with this football team. 
you can say all that, but then it has to happen. Execute. And yeah. Raheem was all over guys at practice. He had guys after practice working on their techniques. If you noticed, they were much more handsy along the line of scrimmage, much more bump and run coverage, man coverage. Dan wanted to do that at the beginning of the week. He talked about how he, I had a chance to visit with him. He says, we're going to play man coverage. We're going to lock them up and try to play man coverage. We're going to try to get after the passer. It's what they did. But that's the plan. Now you got to go execute it. Who's going to be that voice in the, in the room I'm not in? I'm in the D-line room. I'm not in the DB room. I can talk to the whole defense. And re- but then it's got to be reiterated, meeting mm-hmm. after meeting, practice after practice, and all that stuff happened. Give Raheem a ton of credit. Give Jeff Ulbrich a ton of credit. Plays, it's a yeah. group of guys. And I think there's a bit of a misnomer, and you're right. Ulbrich took more ownership maybe of maybe play calling. But don't get this twisted now. This is a conglomeration of ideas, thoughts, of a game plan, and the making calls just like – Bill Belichick's son's calling the defenses in, in New England. Don't think that the line is, hey, I want to blitz here. Hey, I want to I play man coverage here. Hey, let's, let's gang up against the run here. That's coming from the dad. That's what Quinn's doing as well, and he's been doing it since he's been here. It's his defense. To elaborate, I think the key word when you think about Raheem is, uh, I think I heard this when you actually talked to him, talked to Coach Quinn, is the connectivity he has with the players, the ability to be able to reach those guys. And like you mentioned, if they respect you, whatever you say to them, whether good or bad, they're going to find a way to make it right. Or they're going to find a way to improve on whatever the situation is. And for people who don't understand, okay, yeah, you, you look at the Falcons the past few games, looks like they've been playing man coverage, looks like they've been up in the face, but there's a difference in types of man coverage. When you talk about being able to get your hands on the guy at the line of scrimmage, that matters, especially playing in a ball game versus Drew Brees, where if you disrupt the timing just a little bit, guess what? We talk about the back end working with the front end. Well, if the back end redirects or they disrupt what's going on on the outside, guess what? That front four, they have now a little bit more time to get to Drew Brees because he's going to hold on to it, mm-hmm. waiting for a guy to get open. And that kind of stuff happens because – Early in the year, you see guys, maybe they're playing press coverage. Maybe they're playing the kind of old lay where they look like press, but they're the snap of the football, they open up and they run to them. That's part of playing man coverage where you put your hands on them, you disrupt things. And to go back and just to make one more point about Coach Quinn, I've been around coaches where it's been their system, it's been their team, and when things have gone wrong or they say, okay, I'm putting everything on my shoulders, they say, okay, well, I'm going to go out under my own terms. Well, the fact Coach Quinn said, okay, yeah, this is my time and I'm going to call the plays, but when things went a little south or things weren't going the way they were supposed to, in his mind it wasn't, okay, I'm going to just do whatever I have to do to make sure if something happens to me, I went out under my own terms. Well, this is a guy that changed the entire landscape of the coaching system of what they wanted to do. How many mm-hmm. times have you seen an offensive guy go back to the defense side of the ball or see him give up the play calling duties because he wants what's best for this team. It's nothing ego-wise. And that's what you got to love about Dan Quinn is he's going through every single step to make this organization where he thinks and knows where it should be. And yesterday was a great example of not just him, but this entire team. And you understand that this is for real. They believe in – what they say every week, which is the brotherhood and people buying in and playing for their coach. This is a great example of that entire team showing that when everybody thought it was quite impossible to go into New Orleans and win. 
team has not quit on him. That's pretty evident. I went as far to say, I don't know what you guys think of this, but in my column after the game, I went as far to say that this may be one of the biggest wins in Dan Quinn's era as coach here because when you think about it, one and seven going into a seven and one team against your rival, they had everything. No one gave him a chance heading into this one. They had every excuse to make if things started to go sideways in this game to quit, to give up. And the manner in which they played and the way they won, um, people are going to remember this game. For Falcons fans are going to remember this game for a long, long time, I think. You know, they can look back at 2019. I don't know how this season's going to shake out. Um, you know, they have a whole second half to play. Who knows what that final record is going to be? But the fact that the the day they went down as a one and seven team into New Orleans against the big bad Saints, who were highly favored, and kicked down the door and beat up Drew Brees and walked out of there is going to be a pretty special memory for Falcons fans, I think, for a long time. Well, I think the NFC Championship was huge. Obviously, going to the Super Bowl and the week before beating the the Seahawks and then last year the 17 when they went um you know on the road as the only NFC team to re- to return to the playoffs and go on the road and beat the Rams the upstart Rams big wins but i think as far as you know when you talk about this rivalry and that what you know what games that fans will talk about for years i think this is going to be one of those games that they they will talk about for well, a long I, time i think it's a big win but i think it's one win uh, I think it was important that you go out and play the way you did, but I think from a player's mindset and perspective, this is one good win, but yep. you have to pay it off with another. You have to continue to play at this level because if you don't and say you finish out the rest of the year and you, you know, win one more game, it's going to say, oh, you had a good win down, to, down you know, in New Orleans, and that's going to be it. Oh, you guys just lucked up into that ball game. Or well, you have to continue to pay it off. So, yes, this was a good win. And it was good for this team, but you have to pay it off this week. Every week is a different week, and Carolina's not going to say, oh, that was, you know, congratulations. No. Good for you guys, but you got to pay it off each and every week. And that's what I'll say about the rest of this season is – I agree. If you, Yeah, you win this game, but if you don't continue to play at this level going forward, it won't matter. From a, Arch- I, dis- I disagree with you, Shock, on, on the impact from a historical standpoint because – the fans, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna look up and say, okay, you guys are three and thirteen. But this game, this team, this is one that we see the highlights of these games. Regard, I, I I played on teams that were horrible, okay. And if we beat the Saints, those highlights are on the board. Those are things that people talked about. And yes, from a as far as this team's ability to be viable or keep this group together and all that kind of stuff, they have to get ready and play this next weekend because that's one win. You got to get the next one. But from a historical standpoint, which is what you're talking about, yeah. this will be a game whenever this to the Falcon fans can rub it in the Saints faces. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're a team that had a two touchdown underdog goes in and sacks the quarterback six times, this will be one that will be remembered for a while, no question about I think you guys it. pointed that out in, their, in the broadcast, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was good stuff. And I think I, I think it, I, it, we all feel good for Dan Quinn, the team, the fan base. We feel really good for the fan base. Uh, 
you could see if you're if you choose to go on social media and things well, like look, Twitter and Facebook, think, you well, can see what about Falcons fans were Think saying. about it. If you're a Falcon fan in New Orleans or you're a Falcon fan here in Atlanta with a lot of New Orleanians live in the city. They do. If I wear my Falcon shirt to the store today and there's a Saint fan that walks in. You're going to rub it in. He can't say anything to me. Yeah, I no. know I'm two and seven, and yeah. they're seven and two. And that's what they're going to hang And they got over, a yeah. chance to go to the Super Bowl. We but still we got beat a you. fight and claw. You yeah. know what? We beat you, though. You can't say anything to me. No, you're wearing, <laughs> stuck it in your building. You're wearing that bird on your chest like Superman. And that's that's where what you're saying, Matt, yeah. does resonate yeah. from a historical standpoint and a a feeling for the fan. No yeah. question about it. True. True. Yeah, big True. win for Dan Quinn. Big win for the fans. Um, now they got you guys just alluded to it. They've got Carolina. They play four straight uh, NFC South games. Um, it's going to be really fun to see because if you can go down to the Mercedes-Benz Superdome and win there in front of that crowd, and you were talking about just how obnoxious they can be down mm-hmm. there with the video board and everything else and they're, they're dancing and everything else. Um, but if you can win there, Arch, you should be able to win anywhere. That's got to be one of the toughest envir- road environments in the league, right? Right, and I think that you have to take the same, and Shock's talking about this now, you have to take the same preparation, the same steely-eyed look you had going into this week or last week that you take into this week. you got to say you got to take that same feel because, you know, Carolina's pretty good in their own building. They've got a young quarterback that's kind of playing for his future and is playing pretty good. Yeah. They've got arguably the MVP of the league Christian in the McCaffrey. backfield in Christian McCaffrey. Uh, it's a defense that's always kind of gotten after the quarterback, our quarterback before, their defensive front. They got maybe one of the best line, but not baby. We got one of the best linebackers that's ever played the game. So this is a talented team that's playing for their playoff lives. Mm-hmm. They they're they're playing for playoff position. Had a play at the end of the game against Green Bay, could Should've not get game. in, yeah. got turned away. So this is going to be mm-hmm. another fight. But yeah, I'd like to go over there and and run my fist through their drum and and get out of there. <laughs> through the drum, DJ, <laughs> big win big like this. Remember the big drum. They bring the guy out. The oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, drum. yeah, 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 DJ, big win like this. Um, <laughs> in both of you, you, you probably have been through this, but you big emotional win like this. Yeah. You almost feel like, hey, you know what? For eight games, we've been at the bottom of the barrel. It's been terrible. Yeah. And then you taste a win like yesterday. Yeah. You don't want to go back and taste no. that crap anymore. No. And so everyone talks about, oh, a letdown, emotional letdown and stuff like that. Can they maintain it? I'm not saying you're saying that, Arch. You're saying they need to keep that edge. But do you is that something that the coaching staff like they got, have to guard against? No, no, I don't think no. so because okay. I think you have so many guys on this team who played in big ball games or guys who are leaders who won't allow last week to sink in and kind of – spill over into this week where you feel like, okay, we can just rely on what happened last week. You got another big-time division game. I mean, last week I think the game versus New Orleans tells you you can play at the style and the level that you have been practicing that. This team has talked about it for weeks. We've had great practices. We've practiced really well Monday through Saturday, and Sunday the execution just hasn't been there. Well, Sunday you saw when you put it all together – you can play with anybody in this league. So yep. that gives you the mind frame and the mindset of let's do it again this week. We know what it feels like when we play at a certain level. Let's continue that. So I, I don't think that's an issue for no, I mean, this football team. And I mean, Snowballs, right? We're, we're all around this team a lot. We, we know the staff. We know the, 
the mood of the players. We we know the type of guys that are on this team. They'll be ready to go for Carolina for sure. But you get worried about a funk that creeps into a locker room because of a loss. Okay, now you need to carry the juice and the feeling that you just had on that plane trip home, what was in the locker room. You have to carry that juice into this week. Yes, different opponent, and you got to, like I said, take that steely-eyed approach that you had last week, this week. But it's kind of nice to be carrying. And you need to take that juice with you, and you know how it feels. Shock just talked about it. That's a feeling that you want to have. So how do I get that feeling again? Natural high, right? Well, the way I do it is I go up and win in Carolina, and they've got to have a great week for of sure. practice to get ready for that one. For sure. Well, to quote the, the great DJ Shockley. Talk to me. Let's do it again next week. Let's do it, baby. All right. That's, I think that's a great, uh, great place to wrap it up. All right. Thanks, guys. This is Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T.